So we have been starting this new year talking about first things first. And as we got started here in the first couple of weeks, we realized, hey, one of the keys uh, to success, getting life in order, getting our relationship with God the way it ought to be is to get first things first. And we've been looking at a story for a couple of weeks, and and we're going to look at it in, in a sense one final time today. And it's a story of the great commandment. Uh, And in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, two of the four biographies of Jesus in your Bible, this story is recounted. And it's clear they're talking about the same story. And in this story, as Matthew and Mark tell it, um, Jesus uh, is asked by somebody, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, what is the What's the big commandment? What's the most important thing? What's the first thing we got to get right? And Jesus responded that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said on this, the entire law and prophets hang. In other words, if you want to know what the Bible is all about, if you want to know what every command God gives us, if you boil it down to its essence, it's about two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Now, last week we said that if you go to the biography or the gospel of Luke, you get a story that is very similar, but it's different enough that most people would think it's actually a second or a separate story. Same truth gets conveyed, but there are two very significant and really almost irreconcilable differences. In Luke's gospel, the story uh, is different because somebody asks a different question. The question is not, what is the most important commandment in the law? The question in Luke's gospel is, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Now, that's a big question. Some of you are asking that question today. Some of you have been asking that question. What do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have to do to know that my sins are forgiven? What do I have to do to know that I'm right with God? How can I be absolutely sure I have eternal life? That's the question that was being asked. And it's in Luke 10. So it's a different question. And in Matthew and Mark, it's Jesus who responds. You need to love God and love yourself. In the story in Luke, Jesus actually puts it back on the man who asked the question. And he says, well, what does the Bible tell you? And he responds, you need to love God you need to love people. Let's read it. It's in Luke 10, 25 through 29. And we read this last week. I want to read it again. And then I want to focus as we look at this one final time this week, before we start a new series next week, I want to focus on just one very important part of this. In Luke 10, verse 25, story I just recounted to you, an expert in the law stood up to test him. By the way, that's important that you need to know this is actually kind of an adversarial, kind of a, a, a test going on. And so the man is testing Jesus, and the question is, what must I do to have eternal life? I want to know, what do you think I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? Jesus kind of turns it back on him and says, well, what's your Bible say? You got a Bible. Have you read it? You know, he asks, how do you read it? What do you think, it says? And then he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The man answers. He says, well, as I read it, you need to love God and you need to love people. Jesus says in verse 28, 
You've answered correctly. And then he says, do that and you will live. Now, I know what some of you have grown up in church are going to say, well, that's not the right answer on how to have eternal life. But it actually is. A guy says, hey, what is it? Jesus says, what does your Bible say? The Bible says, well, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do that. You don't need me. Do that. You'll live. You got to figure it out. You just go do it. Now look at the next verse. And remember, this, is a, this guy was trying to trick Jesus a little bit. Jesus knows that. And so verse 29, but wanting to justify himself. In other words, the answer Jesus gave him, he's like, okay, he kind of puts it back on him. And he says, okay, love, you love God, love your neighbor, and then you'll have eternal life. And so, so now he needs to make sure. Now you see what's going on. Now he needs to make sure he's doing that. Now he's got to make sure, okay, have I really done that? So wanting to justify himself, he, 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 he goes to the fine print. He goes, well, what exactly does it mean to love your neighbor? In other words, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you were here last weekend, we actually went and talked about that. But I just want to focus today right there on that response in verse 28 and verse 29, where Jesus says to him, in response to the question, what do I need to do to have eternal life? If you've ever wondered that, if you've ever asked that, listen close. Jesus said, love God, love people, you will live. But then the man has got to make sure he's doing that. It, 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 the man, it, the Bible says he's got to justify himself. In other words, I got to make sure I'm okay. The word justify is a legal term. It, it, it's, it's a legal term which is related to the word justice or just. It means to be right. It means to be innocent, to be justified. If you went to a court and the evidence was heard and you were rendered justified, it means, hey, you are innocent, you are just, you are right, there's no charge against you. You are justified. It's not a commutation. We read this week, and every outgoing president always will commute some people's sentences. President Obama, outgoing President Obama did that. He commuted some people. Listen, a justification is not the same as a commutation. Commutation means you're guilty, I know it, you know it, the whole world knows it, but you've been in jail long enough, and out of mercy, I'm commuting your sentence. And every president has done this. I'm commuting your sentence because maybe I thought it was too long or too unfair, so I'm commuting your sentence. It doesn't mean you weren't guilty, I'm just commuting the sentence. That's not what justification means. Justification is not even an acquittal. Sometimes people get an acquittal, and you ask a guy in the jury, what were you thinking? He goes, you know what, I think he probably is guilty. I mean, he really looks guilty. I mean, look at him, he's probably guilty. But you know what, they didn't have enough evidence. They couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So I don't know whether he's innocent or guilty. I don't know whether he's just or not. We, I just couldn't convict him. That, that's not what this is. Justification is when you say, that person is right. They're just. They're righteous. They're not guilty. And this man, when he hears what Jesus is saying, that to have eternal life, oh, you, got, you love God, love neighbor. Now he's got to justify himself. No, he's got to make sure he's okay. And that's when he asks, well, exactly who do you mean by my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the story. See, here's the problem. Whenever you try to justify yourself, you end up in the fine print. Because here's the bottom line. Nobody can justify themselves. And that's what Jesus knew. 
You know what Jesus was doing here? Jesus was taking the mirror of God's law, which can be summed up in two commands, love God and love your neighbor. He was taking the mirror of God's righteousness and he was putting it in front of the man. Because here's what he knows, that anybody who's honest and looks into that mirror will conclude, I haven't always loved God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even more clearly, anyone who's honest and looks in the mirror will conclude, I haven't always loved people as I love myself. If that's what the law of God is all about, if that's what the commands are, have I always done the loving thing to my neighbor? Have I? Have you ever told a lie? If loving your neighbor means telling the truth, let me ask you, have you always told the truth? You know the people I don't, I, I never trust are the people who, who don't admit that they've told a lie. I mean, if somebody goes, well, I've never told a lie, I just think, well, you just lied right there. Because I, <laughs> let me tell you, it's human nature to cover sin. It's just human nature. You go, well, I've lied, but I'm not a liar. So help me with this. How many lies do you have to tell, right? So, well, I've never committed adultery. Some of us in this room, some would not be able to say it. Some say, I've sinned. Others say, well, I haven't committed adultery. Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Some would say, well, I've never murdered. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. We've only talked about three of the commands. And we've already established that you're a lying, adultering murderer. That's what we've established. <laughs> now, truthfully, what, when you hold the righteousness of God up to us and we look into it, we all come up short. No one can justify themselves. Eventually, we all come up short. This is what the Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 23, that we have all sinned. It doesn't say some of us, most of us. It says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, if I can't justify myself, who will justify me? Read the next verse. They, that means God's people, are justified. And you, and you should be going, wow, how, 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 how are they justified? They are justified freely by His grace. That's His kindness to you, which is undeserved and unearned. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How are we justified? God justifies us because he loves us even though we don't deserve it. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to live a perfect life. He died in our place on the cross. He was buried and raised from the dead so that in Christ we have the grace of God and we are justified before God. So really, here, here's, it boils down to one of two things. How can you have eternal life? One of two answers. Are you ready? I can justify myself or... God can justify me. Every religion in the world, watch me, is man's attempt to justify himself. If I can be good enough, if I can do enough stuff, if I can earn enough brownie points, if I could just justify myself. That's what this guy was trying to do. And the message of Jesus is, you can't do it, but God will justify you if you will trust in him. And to the answer, how can I have eternal life? Every one of us in this room are either trying to justify ourselves or we are trusting God to justify us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Let me, let me tell you a story Jesus told to explain this. It's in Luke 18. I love this story, Luke 18. And in Luke 18, there's this story about, um, about two guys, Jesus said, who go to pray. He said, two guys went to the temple to pray. And the first guy who goes to the temple to pray is a Pharisee, which means, again, if you're not used to studying the Bible, very religious guy. So the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray, and in Luke 18... Uh, this is uh, how, how Jesus tells the story. In Luke 18, the Pharisee goes, and the Pharisee uh, prays this. This is the, the religious guy's prayer is this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Because the other guy's a tax collector. We'll get to him in a moment. So the first guy is this religious guy. And he stands up and he says, first of all, first thing he says, God, I thank you that I'm better than most of these sorry people around in this world. Some of them are adulterers. Why, it's sickening. I see what's on TV. It's awful. I see what's on the sitcoms. It's awful. Uh, people are living immoral, godless lives. I thank you that I'm a lot better than that. He even sees a guy over in the corner and says, especially that guy. Look at him. I'm a lot. Lord, God, I thank you that I'm better than he is. And then he goes on. And God, the next verse he says, and I fast twice a week. Fasting is an intensive type of prayer. He says, God, I thank you that I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So I give a lot of money to the church. So this guy says, you know what, God, I thank you and, and that, that, you know, I'm, I'm justified. And here's what he's doing to justify himself. And listen, listen closely, because it's exactly what some of you think will justify you. Number one, I'm better than most people. He looks around and goes, I, I'm better than most people. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. People are always trying to justify themselves. People can commit horrendous crimes, and they still try to justify themselves by saying, well, I'm better than a lot of people. It's like, it's like you've heard the story about the two fellows that were trying to outrun the bear. You've heard this story. They're trying to out, the big man-eating bears come charging at them. One guy reaches down and puts on some athletic shoes. He's lacing them up, and that guy says, you can't outrun that bear. And he says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. Now, a lot of people think that's kind of how I got to get, you know, how do I have eternal life? I just got to be better than most people. I don't have to be perfect. I just got to be better than you. And, you know, and then you look around going, you know, frankly, it's not too hard. I think, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than most people. I obey the golden rule. I try to be nice to people. I obey the law. I'm trying, you know. And the second thing he's dependent on is religion. He says, you know what? I pray a lot. Pray twice. This guy prayed a lot, twice a week, fasted and prayed. And he gave a lot of money. He said, I give a tenth of my money away. It's a lot. So he said, I pray a lot. I give a lot. And he said, so God, I think I got it covered because I'm better than most people and I'm doing all this religious stuff. I'm doing all this religious stuff. Jesus said the second guy went to pray and he's a tax collector. Now, that doesn't just mean he works for the IRS. In Jesus' day, a tax collector is like a cross between a guy in the mafia and Benedict Arnold. It's like a guy who, seriously, it's like a guy who betrayed his country and he feels like he can extort everybody. So everybody hates tax collectors. They sold out. Nobody liked them. And Jesus said, a tax collector comes to pray. Listen to what Jesus said. The tax collector comes to pray, first of all, standing afar off. So here, this guy comes in the temple, and like he's going to sit on the back row. If there's a, I'm not pointing, I'm not saying you're a tax collector on the back row, but it's like he's, you know, but he's on the back. He's like, it's like he doesn't even, it's like he, I think if he were here today, he would have a hard time even coming in. He's like, I, I don't belong here. It's like, this is not, I, this is not my crowd. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. I, he stands, he stands in the very back. 
He doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. You ever met somebody, they wouldn't look you in the eye, they were ashamed or insecure. They, he's looking down, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. He, well, he looks down. And then he beats, the Bible says, and he beat his breast, which means in Jewish, in Jewish culture, that was a sign of intense sorrow, intense sorrow. It means apparently something had crashed in this guy's life. I don't know. Something had really crashed because he's now full of intense sorrow. In other words, he knows he's blown it. He really knows he's fouled it up. And so in the back of the church, without even lifting his eyes to heaven, he just, he's just like, he's like, oh, I have, I have, I've made such a mess. And then he prays. And this is his prayer. Are you ready? This is his prayer. And folks, this isn't much of a prayer. You go, oh man, that's not a very fancy prayer. I mean, can't you? Honestly, can you take in a class on prayer, learn to pray a little nice, put, put some nice words in there. Now here's his prayer. Are you ready? I mean, this is like, what kind of prayer is this? Here's his prayer. You ready? Here's his prayer. God, be merciful to me sinner. That's it. That's it. All I can do is say, God, have mercy on me because I have blown it. I have so messed up. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house. Here's the word, justified not the other. You want to know who's right with God? Not the guy who thought he was all good. Not the guy who was so religious. You know who was made right with God? Not the, listen, not the guy trying to justify himself, but the guy who said, God, I don't deserve it, and I'm asking you to have mercy. Jesus said, that's the guy that God will justify. That's what it means you, so you're here today, hey, I, what can I do to have eternal life? You can either try to justify yourself or you can say, God, I have blown it. I have sinned and I am asking you because of what you did in Jesus to have mercy upon me. Would you forgive me? You can justify yourself or you can trust God to justify you. And I want to tell you, you'll never be able to justify yourself. You'll never clean up your act. You'll never be good enough. You'll never climb the ladder high enough. You'll always slide back somewhere. But here's the great promise of God's Word. If you will trust in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, and you will admit your sin, God, I'm a sinner, and ask Him for forgiveness and mercy, God will forgive you. Now, listen. When a person does that, when a person prays, there is a beautiful picture in the Bible. It's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. It's a picture of what God has done to save us, to rescue us, to forgive us. It is a picture of the life that God gives us. It's called being baptized. And in the Bible, here's what you see happen again and again. You see this pattern repeated. It's this. People believe... And then they are baptized. They believe in Christ. They admit their sin. They believe in Christ. They trust him for their justification. And then they're baptized as a symbol of that. They always believe and then they're baptized. They believe and then they're baptized. It's all the way through the Bible. It's like a shotgun or like a machine gun. Boom, 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 boom. Let me, let me give you examples. In Acts chapter 2, I'll just give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 2, 
It's like about 50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. And Peter is explaining to everybody what Jesus did. He died for you on the cross. He was buried, rose again from the dead. And you, he says to the crowd, you people are guilty. You need to, you need to say you're sorry. You need to repent, you know. And it, so here's what happens. People started crying out, actually in the sermon, they start crying out, what should we do? They're asking the same question as the guy in Luke 10, really. What should we do? But they really want to know the answer. And you know what Peter said to them? Repent. Repent is a word literally that means to change your mind. It means to change your mind in such a way that it changes your direction, your actions. It means I quit going one direction and I go the other direction. I'm sorry for my sin and I admit it. And God, now I want to go toward you. Repent and be baptized. Believe, be baptized. Repent, be baptized. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a story in Acts chapter 8. I love this story. There's a man from Ethiopia. He's a eunuch. He works for the queen. And he was traveling back from Jerusalem. He's reading his Bible. He's reading the Bible. And Philip, a leader in the early church, shows up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian man says, how can I understand it? Somebody's got to explain it to me. I'm trying to understand it, but I don't quite get it. So Philip says, well, let me explain it to you. And Philip opens the Bible and starts explaining to him about, guess who? Jesus. He explains to him, no doubt, that God sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He took your sin. And you can never be justified by yourself. But you can be justified if you trust Jesus. He probably explained all that to him. And then the Ethiopian man said, I love this, in Acts 8, 36, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. So they're going down the road, and, 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 and Philip is explaining this to the Ethiopian guy. The eunuch says, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? It's a great question. He's explained all this to him. He evidently had talked to him about being baptized even. And so the Ethiopian guy goes, hey, 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 there's some water right there. It's a little pond. Could I get baptized? And Philip says, you can if you believe with all your heart. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So they ordered the chariot to stop, and Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. Right there, right there. There's a story in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are early Christ followers. They were thrown in prison. There's an earthquake, and they're about, they, the, the jailer thought they were going to escape. In fact, watch this, watch this. He was so terrified because he knew he would be held accountable that he took out his sword and he was ready to kill himself. You know what? Some of you might be that desperate right now. There's some people who are sitting here. You may be watching me online at home. Or you're sitting here this morning, and the truth is, nobody knows, but you and God know. You're just that desperate. You've lost hope. You don't know that it could be any better. You fear the future. In a sense, your hand is on the sword. And you know what Paul and Silas did? They said, stop, stop, don't do that. God sent us to give you some news. And that's the same thing I would tell you. Don't, don't do that. I've got, I've got some good news for you. And, 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 then, and then the jailer says, okay, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? You tell me. What do I have to do? He's asking the same question as the guy in Luke 10. What do I have to do to have eternal life? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is true for you and your household. 
The next verse says, so they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house. So evidently they went into the house, they opened a Bible, and evidently they took some time to explain the message. They probably, they, no doubt, they talked about Jesus and what Jesus had done by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. They explained, you can't justify yourself. You'll never fix this on your own. But if you'll ask God, he'll justify you. He'll forgive you. And then the next verse says, after they explained the message, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and his family were baptized. I mean, right then, they got up and they were baptized. Baptism is this picture of belief in Christ, trusting Jesus to justify me, to make me right with God. I want to give you four facts about baptism real fast. I'm going to give them to you real fast. But I want to give you four facts about baptism. And this is important because we get lots of questions about this. And we get lots of people that come from all different kinds of traditions and backgrounds. So I want to give you four facts about baptism right from the Bible. Number one, are you ready? Baptism is a symbol of the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, it should be done by immersion. Immersion is the practice of putting somebody under the water and pulling them up. I'm not saying it's a matter of heaven and hell. It's not about something we need to be mad on. But immersion is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Who says so? The Bible says so. Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a new life. So here's what Jesus did for us. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Baptism is a picture. Jesus died. We bury him in the water. We don't leave you there for three days. We bring him up to say they have new life in Christ. A person who is getting baptized is saying, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bury me in the baptistry, Pastor, that I can symbolize the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That's why we baptize by immersion. Number two, baptism is a symbol of my decision to trust Christ. Therefore, it is a choice I must make. No one can make it for me. Acts 2.41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized. Who were baptized? Those who accepted his message. I must be baptized as a symbol of my I can't be baptized for someone else. Somebody can't be baptized for me, and no one can make that choice for me. I believe, I accept the message, and then I get baptized. Now, we have a lot of people at Calvary that come from all different kinds of Christian traditions, and I love that about our church. Many of you, no doubt, were baptized as infants. I don't mean as even small children who could understand the gospel on a ch- childlike level. I'm, I'm talking about infants. You don't, you don't even remember it. You had nothing to do with it. And um, people sometimes ask us, why don't we do that? Well, because it's not in the Bible. I'm not trying to take a shot at your tradition or your parents or your background or your ethnicity. I'm just explaining the facts. That's not in the Bible. And um, here's what I say, but I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody. Here's what I always tell people. If your parents baptized you as an infant, it's probably because that's what they were taught to do. That that's probably they were probably doing what somebody told them to do. That was what they knew to do, and they and by the way, probably means they were pretty good parents. It might mean that. It probably means they cared about you, at least enough to you know to do that. That's what they thought they needed to do. And, and and at its best, at its best, it even means it even means they really wanted you to grow up and follow Christ. 
At its best, it pro- at its best, they probably were saying, okay, we want them to be in the church. We want them to be in the community of faith. So you know what I tell people? I tell people, you're not necessarily disparaging what your parents did. Why, that, that was their prayer. Why don't you be the answer to their prayer? You know, they prayed that you would grow up and follow Christ. Now, that you've grown up and followed Christ, be baptized as a symbol of your faith. What really happened then was about your parents' faith. And I'm not taking a shot at it. That's just part of what they were taught. That was their faith. It had nothing to do with your faith. What I say that I believe is biblically consistent is when you make the decision to follow Christ, when you hear and you believe, then you are baptized as a symbol of your faith. That doesn't have to be disparaging what somebody sincerely wanted to do on your behalf. It's just saying, I want to be obedient to what Jesus has told me to do. Number three, baptism is a symbol of my new life in Christ. It's a symbol of my new life in Christ. Therefore, it should be done after I trust Christ. After I trust Christ. Acts 18.8 says, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and were baptized. Do you get the order there? They heard, they heard, they believed, they believed, and then they were baptized. They didn't get baptized here and then believe. No, they heard, they believed, and they were baptized. Sometimes I get asked by people, should I be baptized again? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Because really, you, you really only need to get baptized one time. It's a symbol of your faith in Christ. You say, well, I was baptized as a child. Well, I was baptized when I was nine years old. Um, Now, at nine years old, there are sins I didn't even know about that I ended up committing, right? I mean, at nine years old, there's stuff, there's a whole world of stuff. I I wouldn't, you know, clue this up. And as I grew in Christ, certainly there were times in my life of fresh surrender and submission to the Lord. But I never needed to be baptized again because even though I was only nine, as best I can discern it, as best I can discern it, I believed, I genuinely believed at nine. However, I also talk to people who say this. I know I was baptized way back when, and I, I, don't, I don't even remember it. I don't know anything about it. And I know that I didn't walk with the Lord. I didn't believe the truth. And somewhere later in my life, I heard, I genuinely believed. Do I need to be baptized? I would say, answer the question as best the Lord gives you wisdom. When do you believe that you truly put faith in Christ? And be baptized after that. If you believe you understood as much as you could as a child, rejoice in that baptism. And you don't need to be baptized again. But if you're one of those people who say, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I have encountered Christ. I believed, and now I want to be baptized. And the Lord guides you to do that. Then It should be done after you believe. Here's the final thing I want to give you. Baptism is a step of obedience. It's a step of obedience. Therefore, it should be done immediately. It should be done as soon after you believe as possible. In Acts 16, the Bible says right away he and all his family were baptized. Right away. This is not an exception. This is how it's always done in the book of Acts. Now, I don't think we need to get legalistic and caught up in that. I don't think it means the, they weren't saved until they got baptized. I, that's not what the Bible teaches. But in the Bible, you see this norm of I believe I want to get baptized. I believe I want to get baptized. And apparently, they did it right away. I mean, like right away. Like right away. 
So when people say, should I get baptized? I, if you believe in Christ, I'll say to you exactly what Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch. I'll say the exact same thing. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you may. And I would say, do it now. So we do a day like this every once in a while. And if you haven't been here, it's just kind of a little different. And kind of a little different. Um, we give an opportunity. Right now, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going we're gonna, to... Um, have a time of, of, of where you can respond to this message. And then we're going to have a baptism at the end of our service. We're going to baptize. And I want to encourage you, if today you have never believed in Christ, there's never been a point where you said like that man in Luke 18, Lord, have mercy upon me. I truly want you to forgive me. Then I want to invite you to open your heart and put your trust in Christ and now be baptized. Some of you have done that, but you've never obeyed the Lord by being baptized. In a moment, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to pray together. And then in about 10 minutes or so, I'm going to be up in that baptistry up there. And today is the Sunday I get to baptize them. The other time I let other people. But today I get to do it. I'm selfish. I'm going to do it today. Can I tell you a story? And this always seems like I always like the Lord gives you something right the last second. It was right before the first service. I was out in the lobby and a man walked up to me, and I recognized him. We'd spoken before, but I didn't know him well, and he might be sitting here in this service right now. I think his name was Ken, I think he told me. Ken said to me, he walked up, and he just wanted to talk, and he said, Pastor, I just need you to know something. He said, it was October of 2015. I don't even know if he knew we were baptizing people today. He, just, he said, I need you to know something. October of 2015, that's like a year and a half ago, October 2015, my wife was baptized here with one other man. She was baptized. She said, Pastor, I buried her a couple of weeks ago. She died. He said, Pastor, on the day that she was baptized in October of 2015, we didn't know she was sick. Six weeks later, we found out she had liver cancer. Last fall, about a year after that date, she was baptized. She went home to be with the Lord. Her fresh tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, I'm so grateful that she knew the Lord, that she'd been baptized. I'm so grateful she trusted in Christ. Now, I don't know the future in your life. I'm not trying to scare or manipulate anybody. I'm trying to state the facts, and the facts are, do you know when you should obey the Lord? Right now. You know when you should obey God? Today. You say, well, I, I, I'm going to obey God tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to have tomorrow. You say, well, I, I'm going to get around to it. You don't know what you're going to get around to it. In the book of Acts, they believed, and if they believed in Christ, they were baptized. So today I'm asking you, do you really think you can get eternal life by being good enough? You really think you can love God enough, love your neighbor enough, never fail? You think you're going to bat a thousand? You're not. But if you will say, God, I'm a sinner, and I believe you'll forgive me, and I am trusting in Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to forgive me in Christ, God will do that. You can justify yourself, or you can ask God to justify you. And today, if you need to trust Christ, I invite you to do it. And today, I invite you to be baptized if you need to do it. So here's what's going to happen. In a moment, we'll stand and sing. I'm going to invite you to come stand. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Pastor, I didn't come. I didn't plan to do it today. I, I've only got, you know, I don't have any clothes to change into. I don't have a towel. 
my hair will get messed up. And I empathize with that. Believe me, I, I understand that. No, I really don't. That, but I know what you're thinking. You think, I'm not ready to do that. Here's what we've done today. We've taken everything off the table, all the excuses. We've got uh, shirts. We've got shorts. Uh, we've got bathing suits you can wear under that, all sizes. They're all clean. They're all laundered. They're all in the back, all sizes, men, women, all that. We've got towels. We've got hairbrushes. We've got hair dryers. We've got, we got everything you need. I'm telling you, we've got everything. We've thought about it. We got an area for women. We got an area for men. People wonder, are they running around in their underwear back there? They're not. We got, we got an area for men over here. Got an area for women over there. We, we, you don't have to worry about modesty. You don't have to worry about hygiene. Listen, literally, listen to me. We tried to take every excuse off the table, and I, we have. Literally, I promise you, you can come with nothing right now. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Trust Him to forgive you. And be obedient to Him by being baptized. If you want to do that today, you can come. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to sing. And today's very, very different. I'm going to ask you today, if you want to come today to believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized, or you already have, but you need to be baptized, I'm going to invite you to come and just stand here. Just stand right here with me on this platform. I promise you, you won't stand alone. And I have, I don't know if there's two or 20. I I don't know. Doesn't matter. I'm going to ask you to come stand. I promise you, you won't stand alone. Just come stand right here. And then in a moment, we'll pray. You can go out. In about 10 minutes, we can be up in that baptistry. And today can be your day to say, I want to believe in Jesus, and I want to be baptized. I want to follow him. I want to follow him. So in a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come and stand right here. Now, I want to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And would you... Would you just quietly, quietly just stand to your feet right now? Just quietly stand to your feet all across the way. In fact, if you need to come, you can, go, or you can start coming right now if you want to. You can go ahead and start coming. There'll be some folks down here. You can just come on down. Amen. God bless you. I want to pray. You come and join these who are already coming right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you will justify us if we will admit we cannot justify ourselves. I thank you for Jesus who died in our place on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And I pray today that you will bless your gospel, your message, and draw people by the power of your Holy Spirit. Is our prayer. Draw us. Help us to be obedient to you now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. We're singing. You come. Come stand. Others are coming already. Come on, right now.